welcome to the simplicity of happiness when more is too much. This podcast offers tips and techniques for a better life. And before we start with another episode of the Simplicity of Happiness podcast, I would like to remind you that you can find out all about me and my thoughts on simplicityofhappiness.com as well as Patreon, where I am providing extra content for all of you who support me and the education of children in Africa. And now relax and enjoy the show. Hello and, and welcome everybody to another episode of the Simplicity of Happiness. And today I'm, uh, I'm honored to talk to, well, the eye of the hypnotic storm, Mike Mandel <laughs> in uh, Toronto. Hello. Hello, Florian. Great to, great to see you again, my friend. This is uh, nice to be with you. You're in the cold. We're in the cold. We got the snow coming down here in the great white north. And yes. there you go. And somebody around me is thinking about applying for a job in Canada. So I might talk to need to talk to you again because she wants to go even further into the snow. But let's talk about this another time. Wow. <laughs> um, the last time that I think we talked about you and hypnosis was together with a friend. We were sitting outside, mm. minus degrees of freezing, And uh, we were sitting in a hot tub and listening to, how do you call it? An hypnotic travel called Ca Journey to the Castle. Ah, well, yes. And for everybody, everybody who has not listened to this yet, um, I, I just talked to, to Mike about it and I'm going to link the Journey to the Castle because you can get it for free. I think you just have to leave the Absolutely. email address. Yeah. What do you think is so special about the journey to the castle? You know, Florian, it's, it's interesting because I started putting out hypnosis digital products back in the mid-1990s. And they were initially done on a computer with software at somebody's house and, uh, you know, a fairly average microphone. Then I went back and revisited them and did them at Crunch Recording Studios in Toronto, which is extremely high-end, and had a sound engineer do them. We, we worked with the Lucasfilm Sound Lab. Mm -hmm. and got a whole bunch of great sound effects. So these were three tracks to take people on hypnotic journeys. But in each one of them, I would refer to this castle up on a hill they could see in this trance. But that's not for today. That's for other trances. And so they would think it would be on one of the other of the three. But they never get to go there. I got people complaining from all over the world. <laughs> and this is when it was a cassette and then a CD and then mm -hmm. finally a download. But I got a call from Till Davy, who's a Toronto pediatrician from Vienna, wonderful man, great doctor. And he left a message for me. I was on the road teaching and I got to my phone and he just said, Mike, I want to go to the castle. Why can't I go to the castle? <laughs> he said, I said, one day I'll do it. Well, 25 years later, I said, I'm going to do it. And I've got 25 years more hypnotic experience than the first time I, I did those recordings. And so I made Journey to the Castle. But what makes it different is the other three were for very specific purposes, either uh, self-hypnosis for stress relief, uh, peak performance, or memory power, enhancing mm -hmm. memory. And this one is something that is open-ended. You can use it for anything you want, or you can let your unconscious mind determine what the use will be that will be ecological and useful. And this, this takes my old stuff 
to a whole new world. I listen to Journey of the Castle myself and typically zone out in the middle, get amnesia for what I was listening for. It's pretty wild. So that's uh, that's how it all happened. Talking of talking of zoning out, what is the most memorable hypnosis experience that you had for yourself? Oh man, for myself? Um, probably um, pain management. I had an event in Winnipeg in the 1970s and slipped. And this is purely for myself, not helping anyone else. But I slipped getting ready for the gig in the bathtub, landed on the side of it in this hotel room. And I was mm -hmm. paralyzed. It was a long time before anybody even knew I was in trouble. And they found me. And they took me to the amb uh, by ambulance to the hospital. And um, I zoned out in the ambulance, put myself in a powerful trance. I think they thought I was unconscious. <laughs> like, but that was the only way I could manage the pain. But I found that was that was quite manageable. I'm really good with uh, pain management with myself. I'm mm -hmm. good at going into trance very quickly. But it's no surprise because hypnosis has been well documented for pain management for many, many you know centuries. Even it's something it excel excels at. You're not going to talk about testicles again, are you? <laughs> no, no. When I cut the uh, cut the cyst out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't talk about that one. Uh, doing okay. self-surgery is not recommended. But um, yeah, it, hypnosis always amazes me. It has since 1965 when I started. And now that I'm approaching a very couple of years, I'll be 70. And I'm astounded how quickly the time has gone. But mm. that's it. I've been doing hypnosis full-time for well over 50 years. Well, no, full-time since 1975. But prior to that, for 10 years. And that's why I keep on my desk here. The wizard statue. Mm -hmm. So I always joke with my students and say I'm a 5,000 year old wizard. I think some of them believe it. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you are. Yes. And this is Mike. the piece de resistance, though. Oh, uh, no, come on. This is the brick from Milton Erickson's house. I mean, it's just one of my prized possessions. So it's right up there with my Angus Young ACDC guitar. But <laughs> <laughs> Mike, people, people who know you, People who studied with you and people who have been hypnotized by you are amazed. And I personally, I enjoyed that training in Toronto so much because I mean, just from my very personal perspective, I think I share your sense of humor. I think you do too. <laughs> you are a very quick thinker and the sometimes some people might 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 uh, might lower the speed on the podcast when you are talking but I, i i love it and the way that you are jumping from one point to the other is exactly the same way that i'm thinking so i'm i'm, I'm never lost you're following me you're following me and yes chris is always trying to get me to slow down well not so much now he knows he can't but he, he gave me one of my best compliments ever chris thompson my business partner called me The brilliant five-year-old he works with. <laughs> <laughs> and, now my question, and now my question. What do you think makes you special? Why do you... I'm, I'm, I'm specifying this a little bit. Why do you have such a sensitive feeling about the state that the person is in? Well, I can't, I can't deny that I do. Um, you probably heard <laughs> me say I was on a plane going to Boston to do a keynote for a corporation. And the woman next to me was an elderly Irish-American woman. She was actually Irish. 
uh, in her early 80s, I guess, and I was sitting next to her and we got talking and she told me she was looking forward to Boston, but concerned about it because she used to go there with her husband. Mm-hmm. And he'd been dead for three years now and she hadn't been back. And she was afraid it was going to open all these sad memories. And I began just talking to her in hypnotic language. And we got off the plane at the other end. And she said, you're such a lovely young man. Can I pray for you? I said, sure. So she took my hands and this Catholic woman prayed for this Presbyterian elder, which was weird. Mm-hmm. And then she said, you know, something's happened, son. I don't know what it is, but I'm looking forward to going to Boston now. And I said, that's right. Now, you know what I've done is I've built rapport with her and I've intersected her and I've given her some storylines on that that are going to deal with her problem. The reason I can do this, Florian, is both a hell of a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. Literally on stage alone, I've hypnotized in excess of 100,000 people. It's 5,000 shows. But um, you must realize, so it doesn't sound like I'm blowing my own horn here. I'm useless at so many other things as my wife will be more than happy to list for you. I, I have no mechanical ability. I can't put in a screw without almost taking my head off with the screwdriver. It's If I have to swim more than 100 feet, I'll probably drown. Uh, I'm a pretty good martial artist and a few other things, but I'm not good at a lot of stuff. And I think, you know, we used to play Dungeons and Dragons and you put your points in your areas, charisma and sword fighting and all. I think most of my points are in hypnosis. And Mm -hmm. it's just something that has always been pretty easy for me. Um, One of my students is a psychiatrist. He used to be head of psychiatry at North York General Hospital. And he says, he thinks I'm a hypnosis savant. And I said, really? He said, oh, I think so. He said, you you have the science. I said, well, I'm not awkward and weird, though. And he said, well, you're weird enough. I said, okay. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But honestly, I'm good at hypnosis, but I'm really shit at a lot of other stuff. (laughs) My wife would say most other things. Yeah. Well. (laughs) One time I want to see uh, I want to see your wife before I, I talk to her. <laughs> Most important, mm-hmm. talk to. Her. Well, before I uh, I'll ask you about uh, uh, one more thing about rapport. I uh, wait. It's your left arm, right? Does it say freedom? Yeah, Korea. Yeah, freedom. Why is yeah. it Arabic? Um, because I've got Japanese on the right arm, which is jujitsu. I've got New Testament Greek on my back. I love language. Language fascinates me. I mean, I love being in a cab with a, <laughs> a really good language teacher. Gary Farber spoke 26 languages fluently and everything from, you know, Korean to anything you can imagine, Finnish, mm-hmm. Estonian, Serbo-Croatian. And he taught us not language, but how to learn language. And I found that fascinating. Being a hypnotist, words are my tools, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember the key things. I was in a cab in Ottawa, and it was a black cab driver. We got talking, and he had a strong accent, French accent, and I thought he was from Montreal. And he said, no, man, I'm from Haiti. I said, Sapa say papa. He almost crashed the cab. He said, no white man knows that. It's Haitian Creole, <laughs> and it basically means, how's it going, bro? Sapa yeah. say papa. But the better one was my, my niece, who's a naturopathic doctor. I took her out for lunch to a Chinese restaurant. And she's super smart. We took an IQ test and she always brags because she was one point smarter than me. will never let me forget it. He says, I'm smarter than you, Uncle Mike. And I said, yeah, but I could still beat you in the octagon. <laughs> My wife says, you can't threaten your niece with physical violence. I said, well, she's making fun of me. So we went to a Chinese restaurant and I want to show off for my niece. So we didn't have the chopsticks and the waitress was coming over and I said, Kwaito, which is Mandarin for chopsticks. And she said something, I didn't hear what she said. So I switched to Cantonese. I said, Fazi, Fazi is chopsticks in Cantonese. And she said something else. And I said, 
which means I can only speak a bit of Chinese. And she said, oh, sir, I'm sorry, I'm Japanese. I said, well, And she said, oh, konnichiwa, you're just fantastic. You got to realize, Florian, at that moment, I've used up all my Chinese and all my Japanese. It's all gone. <laughs> But yeah. boy, does it ever build a rapport bridge if you can speak a few languages in someone's lang- in someone's native language. People appreciate you making the effort. Taking into account that most of the listeners are not hypnotists themselves, what is the one thing they should know about rapport and how can they use it? Oh, wonderful question. Rapport uh-huh. is a sense Thank you. <laughs> wonderful question. You've opened a tremendous topic here, one of my favorites. Rapport is an amazing thing. We know when we have it with someone, we interact with them well, conversation flows well, nobody's looking at their watch to see if it's time to go. And we see rapport as hypnotists as a psychodynamic loop where the person's behavior is eliciting a response in me that is then causing a communication to go forth that elicits a response in them. And when we are in rapport with someone, and I'm using the English word rapport, which comes from the French word rapport, And when we're in rapport with someone, Wait, we just use the German model. one. Oh, which one's the German one? Rapport. <laughs> I'll write it down. I've added it to the humor. So when we're in rapport with someone, we have a bridge built between them and between us. And the basic idea is we appear to be similar to them and we enter their model of the world. So the old NLP methods of rapport were. You mirror the person's body language, you mirror their gestures. So if they gesture like this, you, you know, as they you gesture the same way, and you know, not trying to copy them at the exact moment. And you use the same predicates of speech. So if they're saying, Do you see what I mean? How does that look? You don't say, mm-hmm. Well, I feel great, and switch to the wrong system. You breathe in sync, you can tap when they breathe out of their threshold of awareness. But all of these things create the impression that we are similar because we all trust people who seem like us. We like people who are like us. And, you know, a few blocks from my house, actually a couple of miles, is a, a gangy area. You'll see the gangsters on the corner in the summer. They're like doing all this front and this stuff. And you know who the leader is right away. He's the one who's doing all the gestures. And the others are the ones copying him. They're in rapport with him. Mm-hmm. And that method is a very a good one. You can match and mirror people and use the predicates of speech and their vocal rate. If they're speaking slowly, you don't want to talk a mile a minute, you'll break rapport with them. And one of the first times I used this with great success was there was a company in Canada that used to rent video cassettes. Remember the video cassette stores? It was Jumbo Video. And uh, this company hired me to come in and do a keynote for them. And I came in with two of my agents and we went to the meeting and they were very proper. My agents, one man and one woman, we sat at the table with the Jumbo Video experts and head honchos. The main guy was at the head of the table and he's Scottish strong Scottish accent. He's in blue jeans. Everybody else, all his crew are rigid and suits and sitting like perfectly, totally intimidated by him. So my agents were intimidated by him. And I did the opposite. I sat like he sat, put my knee up like him, sat back like I didn't give a toss, did his gestures and everything. At the end, they're looking at me like, sit up straight, sit up. They're stressed by this. At the end of the meeting, (laughs) he says, I think we're going to hire you. Uh, I like, I like what you say. So he hires me. And after the meeting, I did a talk for them. And then he realized after the talk, a few weeks later, he said, you did all this on me. I said, that's right. Now, (laughs) I built a bridge where I seemed like him. So, of course, he liked it. Any of your listeners and viewers can do this. But here's a better thing. Here's the gift. John Grinder's ultimate rapport secret. John Grinder, one of my mentors, co-founder of neurolinguistic programming, 
brilliant linguist, amazing psychologist. He said, you can do all of that. You can match and mirror and talk and pace and all the things I did. He said, or there's a shortcut that's just as effective. He said, simply pretend congruently with your whole being that the person you want rapport with is the most fascinating, interesting, important human being in the world and keep pretending that as you interact. Mm. And when you do, the mirror neurons in your brain will take care of the rest. And yeah. here's the first time I did it. I had a keynote for Canada Border Services. And so I was speaking in Cornwall, Ontario, which is about a six hour drive. So I took the train and they sent me a nice B01 first class ticket, rode out there. And after my event, I had three hours to kill. So I went to the cafeteria. It was held at St. Clair College, I believe it was. And I, I get very antisocial when I'm working a lot. I go to Enneagram 5. I just want to be left alone. And I sat in the corner of the cafeteria, brought some books with me. I'm happy when I got books, set them up on the table, opened a book. And a guy came over and he did one of these things where as he's sitting down, he said, do you mind if I join you? And now he's already there. What am I going to say? Yeah, I mind. Get out of here. I can't be a jerk to him. He worked for Canada you Border can. Services. <laughs> well, I can, but it wouldn't be a good idea. So he was with Canada Border Services. And I thought, okay, he's going to sit and talk to me now. I have to leave here in two and a half hours. I've got a cab coming to take me to the train station. I'm going to do John Grinder's rapport secret. So I pretended that this man was the most fascinating, important human being I'd ever met. And Florian, that two-hour conversation went by in a blink. He was fascinating. His job was he repelled on Russian trawlers off the coast of Western Canada, checking for fishing violations and contraband. And he had fascinating stories of his time in the helicopters and the storms and the things they'd gone through. And I had to go to get my train. And I stood up and he stood up and he said, thank you so much for your kindness in taking the time to talk to me. And I said, no, bro. I said, thank you. I said, this was one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had in my life. And you know what? It really was. Everybody has something to offer. Sometimes we have to dig to find that gem that's hidden. But if we take the time and pretend they're fascinating and pretend they're interesting and don't interrupt them, we can uncover things that are absolutely astounding. Get your listeners and viewers to do that. It's a great gift that John Grinder gave me. And while you're doing that, don't you give up a piece of your own personality? I mean, I guess, yeah. when I'm, when, uh, let's say, a group of friends or business partners, and I have a point to make, I want them to listen to me. And as soon as I'm using these techniques, I have these wonderful conversations and I'm totally amazed by the other people. But how do I make my point in that? When you have that degree of rapport, you're just going to listen for a gap. And um, because the rapport is two ways, they'll mm -hmm. be in rapport with you too. They will listen just as readily to you. So it's, it's a complete conversational loop between okay. the two of you. And, and when in doubt, uh, build rapport with the most important or powerful person in the room. And mm -hmm. that, that works really like in the boardroom, although I would have taken a shortcut now and, and done Grinder's method instead. But uh, this, this has served me extremely well over the years. And when I was seeing clients, when I was a full-time therapist in the 1990s and had an office right on the beach in Toronto, which is fantastic. And I'd switch into rapport with them and immediately cut through all the crap and be able to do 
some really interesting work really quickly, not because I'm brilliant, but because I've had amazing teachers. I've had the and best you are teachers brilliant. In the and world. you're brilliant, <laughs> of course, a little bit. What there, there was one thing, and I think in one of the last couple of um, uh, podcast episodes, when you said that often people are telling a story and then you are self-referencing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I love really to And, so and now I'm going to, to do that <laughs> because I love self-referencing. So very often people tell something and say, oh, this reminds me of, and this yeah. technique that you just uh, um, uh, presented, it helps me a lot to just shut up yeah, and listen. That's the same with me. And, and it can sound narcissistic, but there's a way of self-referencing that isn't narcissistic. And that, that's what I'm convinced I was doing. It was my wife who was the one who complained. And we'd be married, what, 39 years. I still call her my first wife to keep her on her toes. But she's smart as it, you know, really, really smart. And But she said, it sounds like you're just looking for a chance to talk about yourself. I said, honey, I understand that it sounds like that. Here's what it actually is. When you tell me something that's important to you, the only experience I can draw from is my own so, experience yeah. to verify it or to add to it or something. I said, it's my way of adding to the conversation. But I've learned not to do it quite so much as I used to. Yeah, maybe that helps sometimes. <laughs> When um, I'm st there, there's one thing about rapport that I'm uh, still thinking about. There's one technique that you that you teach, hypnotizing somebody across the room. Oh yes, yes. And you say, yeah. and then you you. I'm not sure if I how much I can go into detail, but you you are talking about this. Um, illuminations that you focus on. Yeah. I'll explain it if you want me to. I, yeah. I don't know how far you want to go. I don't mind. Yeah. Uh, the triple bind is a very, very interesting situation. It, it comes initially out of the double bind, which Erickson, the greatest hypnotist who ever lived. My wife asked me two nights ago over supper. Sunday night, I started fasting. I'm doing a two or three day fast right now. And just, just to stay toned and healthy and everything and do it once a week. And my wife said to me over his supper, the last meal I had then, not the last one of my life, I hope. But she said, <laughs> I'll ask you a question. Who's a better hypnotist, you or Milton Erickson? And I said, Milton Erickson. I said, I don't have to think about it. She said, right answer. <laughs> I said, there'll only be one Erickson. But he used double binds brilliantly. He would offer only two alternatives. Would you rather A or B? And clever salespeople do this. Would you rather sign the contract now or should we sign it after lunch? Well, you don't even look at the third option. Maybe not sign it at all. Maybe think mm -hmm. about it for two weeks. We tend to only look at the two examples that are in front of us. Now, a triple bind takes it one further. And I began using a triple bind for hypnotic inductions. And the very first time Chris Thompson and I presented at HypnoThoughts Live, which is the biggest hypnosis convention in the world in Las Vegas, it's just a blast. A thousand hypnotists of every kind you can imagine for days on end and 115 degree heat. And it's just fantastic. So I was asked to do a demo. And there was a man in the audience and he was probably eight or 10 rows back. And I did a thing called intersection. I intersected him. And the way you do that, I do it. I had to deconstruct it to figure out how I did it. So I wasn't sure. Now I know what I do. When I look at the person, I imagine that I'm sending out, you know, Dr. Octopus, Spider-Man's enemy with the octopus hands. I imagine I'm sending these octopus tendrils out, but they're light. Now, I, I don't for one minute mean there's anything happening here, paranormal or pseudoscientific. This is just how I imagine it. I was doing mm -hmm. it unconsciously. So I send these tendrils 
And the, these are loving, they're not scary. They touch the person and resonate and vibrate and get bright. And as they're getting bright, I'm looking at the person and I start to get tunnel vision. So all I'm really seeing is their immediate face with, I'm holding onto this image. And then I say to them, the triple bind question, what sensation are you noticing right now? That sets it up. And because I'm fixating them with my eyes, it's like some sort of loop happens. So they'll answer me. They'll say something like confused or warm or flushed in the face or something like, so they might say, let's say they say warm. Now I offer it back to them, which increases the loop. So I'll say, that's right, warm. <laughs> and that feeling of warm, here's the double blind. Is it moving? Is it intensifying? Or is it, or are you more aware of it? So that's moving, intensifying, more aware. M-I-M-A, MIMA, that's how you remember it. But you have to say it fairly quickly. You've got to go slowly enough to keep the rapport. But if you go too slowly, they'll interrupt while you're saying it. Is it moving? No. <laughs> so you gotta, is it moving or is it intensifying or are you more aware of it? So they go, it's moving. So I'll say, that's right. It's <laughs> moving. And is it now moving or intensifying or are you more aware? And I'll do like two or three of these. And they're starting to lock onto me at that point. And they answer again. And then I just say, eyes closed now. And they go, yeah, wait, 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 wait. I have to stay awake or <laughs> you have to do the show on your own. And well, I, I love this. I, I did this multiple times. Imagine a dark African night sitting in Zanzibar under palm trees, um, the guests at the lodge asking me, oh, what, so what did you do in Canada? Well, <laughs> what do you feel? <laughs> That's a good question. And it helps me. I, I, I'm not, I'm not imagine these octopus fingers, but it's more like a light going from me to them. Um, but this is intensifying it so much. Why do you think that is the case? Because it's working like eyes closed now and, and, and well, And that. <laughs> and, and it's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, I'm trained in different energetic modalities. I did EFT, uh, some thought field therapy, not much, topic acupressure technique. Larry Nims, Be Set Free Fast. We were the first people ever trained by him, uh, first Canadians ever certified in it. A mm -hmm. lot of different things. And there is some sort of energetic exchange that takes place between us, but I, I don't pretend to know what it is. I, I did Professor Benjamin Schumacher's uh, college level course in quantum mechanics. And I think there is something happening here that we cannot yet explain completely, but you're right. And, and the way you're describing it, the way you do it, that is equally valid. It's the same thing. I mean, as soon as you're telling me, I'm going, yep, yep, I know exactly what you mean. And what happens is we get some sort of interesting energetic loop here where the guy I demonstrated this on, I could tell you his name was Richard White. He's in my academy. He's a full-time social worker therapist in the US, very nice man. And afterwards I went up to him and I said, How's your sore shoulder now? And he went, it, it's a lot better, but how did you even know about it? And I said, I calibrated it. As soon as I locked with you, I could tell you how to sore shoulder. I didn't feel it. I didn't have any empathy. I was mm -hmm. just aware of it. And I thought this might fix it, but there was no suggestion given. I think it really freaked him out. <laughs> I believe. And he did it, not me. I'm just, I'm just creating the loop. 
I, I never fixed anybody's problems ever. All I did was build a, a psychodynamic loop with them, make friends with their own unconscious mind and let their unconscious mind fix things. Mm -hmm. If somebody listening to this wants to become more aware of their own unconscious mind, mm. what is your suggestion? Take a free What ride. is the shortcut? What Take is the easy ride one? in MMHA, Mike Mandel Hypnosis Academy. People can test drive it for free and um, have a mind-blowing experience, have access to the entire thing, the hundreds of videos, the guest trainers, the, oh, the live webinars. Well, Everything is there. I, I, I found it. Well, this is how I met you because I, I listened to the podcast and I thought you are just two guys talking a lot of nonsense, so I didn't listen to it for a year. Then I came back to it, and then I got the jokes, and then I kept listening to it, and then I signed up for the online academy, and right. then I thought, and 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 I, it was too much for me. I was absolutely unexperienced. I I did NLP. So I knew a lot of the language that you were using. Yeah. But I did not know how to start. There was so much and I understood what you were saying, but I was too afraid to test it with somebody because I had no, I had, I, I thought I have no idea what I'm doing. So I didn't really test it on myself either. I looked through it more like an academic perspective Then I traveled to, to Canada and I, and I absolutely loved it. I, I felt like coming home. Oh, that's fabulous. When did you come out, Florian? Was it three years ago now? Well, it will be four years in May. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's gone in a blink. And in this time, you know, since we started teaching, first at U of T, two different locations, and then we had a brand new setting, then COVID hit and we, we lost that. It was right across from Toronto City Hall. Beautiful. 19th floor view, great training center, but it's all, it's all gone under now. And, um, but that place where we met right at U of T university of Toronto is just such a nice setting. It's in a nice area of the city. And we really did attract some amazing people. We had one guy drove from San Francisco to Toronto. I think it took him two days to drive it. We've, we've now trained, I think six psychiatrists, two from Singapore, one from France, you know, all over the place. And, um, It's been such a blessing. And then to get people with no previous experience, not even your NLP experience, and come in and then start replicating excellence when they leave. Yeah, that was so for, for, for anybody listening, if, if, if you are thinking about, um, uh, well, whenever, whenever we have no pandemic anymore, um, to travel to Toronto, um, it came to me at ease. And I had, throughout the whole week, I had no, do you remember that I, that I came there in shorts and flip-flops because I, I was coming from Zanzibar, from Zanzibar and it was yeah, freezing degrees and, and <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect it. So the second day I had to go and shop for some, uh, for some pants and some shoes and, uh, and a pullover, I guess. You're not the first. Um, well, but um I didn't, I, I never had the feeling that something is, myth, is missing or that I didn't understand it. 
So and and um, for some reason, the, well, maybe it's because of the humor or the speed of the talking and thinking. Whatever you explained, I can replicate a lot of this word Excellent. by word because I just well, this wasn't. Sometimes people are just talking so much nonsense around that the bits of truth is hidden. But what I learned there was, yeah, okay, I got this. Makes sense. And I just copy pasted it. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. It got in so fast. Yeah, I have no idea why. Uh, maybe it's because I'm brilliant as well. <laughs> well, you are. You are brilliant. I can tell you why. Um, I, I think two people specifically. One was Donald Thane, who was my grade six teacher, who gave me a love for learning after I'd had a catastrophic near, near breakdown in public school with an evil teacher. And Donald Thane got me interested in learning again. And he's since passed away. Wonderful teacher. And the other reason is uh, my teaching style. I've modeled John Grinder. And I, we brought him to Toronto twice. And I spent quite a bit of time in his presence and had a lunch and dinner with him. That, And I've modeled his teaching style, his presenting style. is second to none. I mean, it's just, you want to learn stuff. Oh, my goodness. It's just downloading into your freaking brain all the time. Mm. <laughs> But it's, uh, if, the other thing you said is the humor. And that's a really important point. It was Richard Bandler who said, humor unlocks the model. So the co-founder of NLP saying, you know, humor breaks up the problem. It, it makes it hard for the problem to stay. And, uh, you know, mocking people's problems. Like somebody comes in, you know, and I've got this and this and this. You say, oh, that's easy. You know, why didn't you get rid of it before? What? And you have a big laugh about it. It makes it easier. Back to the question. What hmm could be an easy way to experience your own unconscious mind. Your own unconscious mind? Uh, let someone else do it for you. And the best way is what you already said, we talked about earlier, listening to Journey to the Castle, that will activate and okay. awaken the unconscious mind of the listener. There is so much hidden in that. I'm mm. currently mentoring a 17-year-old kid online. A friend of mine asked him to help him. The kid's very smart in hypnosis. He's not genius level but he's good even at his age and he's figured a lot out so I, i meet with him every couple of weeks we meet on zoom and i just talked to him for half an hour and the, the first time i spent most of my time just getting him to and listen it can be very add about it mm -hmm. but i say look you know i charge a huge amount of money to corporations for my time you would not be able to afford me so stop talking and let me give you the information but he took it very well But when I did Journey to the Castle, he said, oh, he was going to deconstruct it and take it all apart and show me it's not going to happen. You know, I've got amazing first-rate hypnotists with years of experience who've not been able to deconstruct it because it's designed to protect itself. It's got, it's got stuff in it that if you try to figure it out, feeds back on itself and undoes what you're doing. And this, my friend, is only the beginning because I'm currently writing the prequel to it, which is Cydonia. And we're going to release this uh, probably next month. I'm hoping we can get it out by within a month. And Cydonia is going to be Journey to the Castle on steroids. It's going to be um, almost too much. What does it mean? <laughs> Cydonia, oh no, Cydonia is actually um, an area on Mars. And it's where the supposed face on Mars is and the pyramid structures that look like there's a lost civilization on Mars. And um, I started thinking, what would happen if some scientists like Elon Musk were able to use nuclear weapons to liberate the atmosphere that's locked in the ground on Mars? 
And then what if they use something that was low yield nuclear, like neutron bombs that don't destroy the pyramids in the face, and someone was able to open a portal and change things there? So you know more about it than anybody now. <laughs> well, until until I publish this. <laughs> Mike, what, what could a person like me do for you? Uh, stimulate my curiosity. It's always the same. I'm interested in people who are interested in learning. I'm interested in people who are confident and who recognize their own limitations. Um, one of the be best gifts for me was recognizing my limitations because one of the hardest things for me was, and this is an indirect answer, Florian, it's somewhat circumlocutory, but it is indeed an answer. When I began doing hypnosis in 1975, I had an enormous ego. You know, I had to have all the doors in my houses cut like keyholes to get my head through. I used to rent my head out as a weather balloon in my spare time to make extra money. I mean, it was, it was awful. Ego was off the scale. And I was just trumpeting how brilliant I was all the time. I look back now and realize how pathetic so much of my technique was. I had the, the Dunning-Kruger effect where someone learns in a Venn diagram this much information, a small circle, but they don't realize that that is not the entirety of the subject. The subject is this big. So they learn this and think they know everything, which is what I did for years. And then I began to see all this other stuff outside it, Milton Erickson and his work, and realized, oh, Now, all of a sudden, I've got the imposter syndrome happening where yeah. I feel like I'm not really an expert at all and shouldn't be telling anyone about anything So I've got a clue. Now I see that, okay, I know this much, but there's this. But if you push past that, then you get to real mastery because at that point, you realize you are indeed an expert, but there's no longer any baggage with it because you don't, the best way I heard it put was the drummer, late drummer from Rush, Neil Peart. He said, what is a master, but a student who keeps seeking mastery, something like that. I mean, it was just a wonderful, but a master student, you know, and it's, there's the guy who was arguably the greatest rock drummer of all time, but he still saw himself as a student. And when mm. I found that out, bro, I can't remember who I heard it from, but it was liberating. I'm going to take one of these out so we can keep charging. <sighs> still use one, Chris told me, but uh, yeah, it was liberating. I, I don't mean for one moment that I don't have an ego. But you look at someone like Freddie Jacqueline, who is one of the most skilled hypnotists in the world, or Anthony Jacqueline, mm -hmm. who's absolutely brilliant, and they're personal friends of mine. And they put the ego aside and just amazing. I think, I really think the best in any field, what I've learned from them, from all kinds of people, is when you can let go of your own issues to a large degree, good God knows I'm not there. Please don't think for a moment I'm saying I've arrived, I haven't. But I'm a lot better than I was 10 years ago, or last year, and I hope last week, thank God, um, everything gets easier because we're not contending with having to wear this mask and be something. We can be, to a large degree, authentic. And it doesn't matter to me if Freddie Jackman's a better hypnotist or David Snyder's a better NLP teacher. It doesn't matter at all because we're all sort of aligned and doing the same stuff mm -hmm. and hopefully changing the world one person at a time. So that's what I can learn from someone like you. When I talk to you, you trigger my curiosity and you trigger my desire to want to be better at everything I do, including a better friend, a better communicator, all of the above. 
Yeah, that's the scariest thing about uh, learning for me is where they, there was a time when I thought, okay, I'm just going to learn it all and then I can tell the world. But yeah. what happened is the more I learn, the more I discover that I don't know yet and don't understand. So the more I learn, the stupider I, I felt. And that yeah. led to something or to a behavior of mine that I was not brave enough to put my word out there because I knew how much I don't know. So I thought, who is even interested in that? <laughs> so, so interesting because, yeah, and then we doubt ourselves. And, yeah. you know, as a forensic hypnotist, I worked on a lot of major crimes. I've never sought them. They've come to me. And um, I worked on three, I've been consulted on three murder cases, sex offenses and poisoning, armed robberies, like everything. And not a lot of them, probably less than a dozen cases all told. But I've never had to give testimony in court. And the reason why is a good forensic hypnotist, according to Hibbert and Worrell, who wrote the book on it, should never give testimony in court. We shouldn't need to. We're looking for, here's your metaphor. We're looking for something in hypnosis that can provide corroborative physical evidence that they can then bring to court. That's what they bring to court, the physical evidence, the details, the facts, not what comes out in hypnosis, but the hypnosis can be the catalyst for that, if that makes any sense. But mm -hmm. despite the fact of never having given testimony in court, the interesting thing is to qualify as an expert in North America in a courtroom so you can speak as an expert, the only qualification is you must know more about the subject than the judge and the jury. That's it. So you, with your background in NLP, trained in hypnosis, you could come to Canada or go to New York City and give testimony as an expert hypnotist in court. So when you tell people that, they realize they don't need the imposter syndrome. They are good enough. They're good enough to do all kinds of things. I have two questions left. Now we don't we don't really meet on a on a weekly basis, the two of us. But um, you saw me you saw me a while back in Canada. We had a couple of phone calls, and uh, today we are here. What's you, what would you like me to do? What I'd like to do, well, let me put this earphone back and we'll see if we get better sound now. I'm going to swap them around. What I would like you to do, Florian, is accept this metaphor. I think the best wait, thing you can no, do. No, 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 wait. <laughs> now you have to wait. Now you have to wait. You know what my second question is? I'm afraid to ask. Give me a parting metaphor. Well, then I can do the two in one. Yes, that's why. <laughs> my wife was born in Toronto. She has lived within two miles of the, three miles of the same place her whole life. And she's been blessed that when I was traveling a lot, I took her a lot of different places. You know, we went to Colorado, Florida, Australia, Italy, and Ireland. And we went to Switzerland. And we were staying um, actually in Prevesson, France, just across from Geneva. And one day we went to Megev with her brother and we walked up this wonderful snow-covered mountainside where people were accustomed to the cold as we were living in Canada. And we took our jackets off and the sun was beating down. And even though it was such a cold temperature, we thoroughly enjoyed the walk. And when we reached 
the spot, but her brother had determined we would look. The mountains all around us. He reached into his backpack and he took out two items that made it special. One was a bottle of Veuve Clicquot champagne. The Widow Clicquot, my favorite. He popped this open and he handed out plastic cups, Molson Canadian beer cups, and we drank Veuve Clicquot champagne from Canadian beer cups at McGev. And that memory felt like an accomplishment and does to this day. It was my wife's 50th birthday and I'm hard pressed to explain why it was an accomplishment. I have no idea, but to me, it felt like we had done something magnificent. Thank you, Mike Mandel. It was a pleasure talking to you. It is um, an honor that I met you and um, you're enriching my life. Bless you, my friend. Um, we somehow crossed the line at one point and you, we became friends, distant friends. But Chris and I always think fondly of your visit to Toronto, uh, taking the bell from the class back to Africa with you and sending that beautiful photograph that's in my computer still. And um, we got I'll come back on. Let's do this again. Let's figure out what you want to talk about next time. Love to talk to you again. Well, so for today, it's good. Good night. Night. <laughs>